to another episode of Dead Men's Donuts and the Society of Survivors, the morbidly uplifting podcast. My name is Grace Baudino, and I am here as your host. I'm still working on getting myself a co-host. You know, it's a project. Anyway, if I have any volunteers, feel free to email or call or, you know, <laughs> shoot me a, a, a Snapchat or a text message or something. Anyway, um, so first and foremost, it is February, and I'm sure if I took a good look, I'd know what episode this is, but I don't. So right now, we're just going to move directly into getting ready for this episode and this interview. So, I'm not sure if you guys are aware of my take on trigger warnings. Um, for the most part, I, I don't do them overly much because I feel like trigger warnings are overdone. Um, however, I also acknowledge that a lot of what people survive and the stories that we hear on this podcast can be a little upsetting can be a little nerve-wracking and, you know, sometimes they make your stomach turn. And this is a story that might make your stomach turn a little bit, but it's an important story. And I think that it's important for us to look at and acknowledge difficult things and stomach-turning things because once you turn the lights on the vermin, the rodents, the parasites go scattering. And so I think that it's important to bring these stories to light, not only to raise awareness with people that these things happen, but also to raise awareness to victims and survivors that you're not the only one out there and that other people have survived this and you can too. That said, uh, trigger warnings for this story include oh, long-term, um, both physical and sexual abuse, um, substance abuse. Um, geez, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm hitting everything that we, we wander through in this story, but um, this is Charlie's story, and Charlie was a victim of abuse under the the thumb of her stepfather from the time that she was about six years old until she was 21. And I think it's important to point out that even though someone becomes legally an adult, they can still be the victim of the abuse of a parent. So I have to say that I am amazed to have been introduced to Charlie I am amazed that she is as just strong and brave and compassionate and funny and just completely herself she is after the depths of everything that she went through. This is going to be a two-part episode. The first part is basically Charlie going through the whole process of abuse and ending with the night that she decided she was no longer going to let this happen. And episode two is going to be how, how she managed to find her way out of it 
and through it. So I am very happily calling this episode Charlie's Story. If you ever touch me again, I'm going to stab you in your sleep. There you have it. So here is Charlie's Story. still here wish I wasn't (laughs) so yeah all right so tell me your survival story um it really is you know recognizing that my trauma really started before birth being the unborn child of a drug addict Mm. you know and so my mom had three kids by the time she was 20 years old and I'm the middle one So I was born to my drug-addicted mom and was brought home from the hospital by my grandparents and um, lived in three different family members' homes by the time I was two, none of which were my mom. Okay, where was she? With the flavor of the... Oh, just kind of wherever? Yeah. It's not like she was undergoing treatment or anything? No, it was really substance and relationships over children. A lot of that is like her own stuff, like she couldn't be alone. Yeah. And so the substances and men, even as toxic as they were, filled that void that mm-hmm. her children, apparently, we just couldn't. Because they took care of her. She didn't have to take care of them. Um, where us, we were a job. <laughs> so um, we were raised by my, we went from my father's parents to my mother's grandparents which were my great-grandparents. Wow, that's okay. Yeah, and then after them, we went to my mom's parents. Okay. And we ended up being with them until I was 10. Okay. So um, my mom decided to poke her head back around when I was in kindergarten-esque. Okay. Um, So we were raised on a cattle ranch kind of situation lots of animals over 100 acres of property what you would think is ideal for kids be like the best way to be raised right, right yeah. outside Living doing all- close to the land and learning right milk cows and and so I know when you say your mom poked her head back around did, did she like start living with you guys so or? on the property my grandparents had this huge not 32 foot but like one of those really huge mobile homes like a single wide where there's like a bedroom at the back end and your living rooms at the other end yeah so um we had one of those on the property and she'd already been divorced from husband number one she was on husband number two okay and which one was your dad um none Hmm. um my my father was her high school sweetheart in the midst so she never married my dad but got back with older brother's dad when I was, I couldn't even tell you, because they were married for like six months. So it's just kind of a convoluted, yeah, like yeah. meandering trail of relationships. Uh, and, and mostly just stories of like what we were told, because... Yeah, I, do you remember? <laughs> I have no memory about any of that kind of stuff. She was with husband number two, and he was a tool and a half. He was very, very physically abusive. 
and to you or to her to her and to us in the sense because again I'm the middle I have two brothers one older one younger my younger brother and I are only 10 months apart is right (laughs) and um so he wouldn't like outright hit us but like if we wouldn't call him dad he'd trip us knock us down um just to be a prick and um it's like weirdly juvenile he's an asshole yeah (laughs) and um and but my grandma allowed them to live on our property and i don't know what it was that changed i just know that they were gone like i don't know the sequence of why they left or they were just gone okay well so you know we're going through the motions and my grandparents house was very abusive okay which the majority of our family doesn't even know I'm talking spankings with two by fours. Oh. I'm talking yardsticks being taped together to be beat with. Um, open hand smacks in the face. My grandfather was an alcoholic, and I probably would be too if I was married to her, um, <laughs> because she was an alcohol was not an alcoholic. She was just a bitch. Probably that's how we medicated. Um, but he was an angry alcoholic, mm. and it wasn't we. It was mostly me. My younger brother was the baby, so occasionally they'd take stuff out on him, and um, my older brother was kind of attention-seeking, like he would do things on purpose to get in trouble. But it would always land on me, and a lot of the times, like, during the beatings, I would be told, well, you're just like your mother, right? (sighs) So that was like always like a loosely said thing after your mom's a dirtbag, your mom is this, your mom is that, you're going to be just like her. So I learned very early on to not ask about her and not do anything. And I really can't say a whole lot of where my father was. He was killed when I was four. So I don't really know a whole lot about him before he was killed in an auto accident. Okay. But so my mom came back <laughs> Um, when I was in kindergarten, my grandma allowed her back on the property, but this time she came home with husband number three. Yeah. And so this husband, she had married while he was incarcerated. Um, they got married. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and she met him because he worked with husband number two and he was, doing drugs and she would come and do them with him and ex-husband number two cheated and kicked her out so she went to this one and he's the one that we that i call asshole okay okay so now if, if he was incarcerated how did she hook up with him because they worked at a tow company together husband number two and husband number three and so she was using substances with him uh-huh. and all of that so they'd already like became friends or oh, whatever okay gotcha and um so they first met before yes. he was incarcerated yes got married while he while was he was in jail okay yes you know yeah gotcha she can pick him so when she showed up she had him with her and you know we were kids and so to us it was like okay so like this is gonna be dad or whatever it was very early put on us to call him dad okay you know and I don't know 
he was very narcissistic, very controlling, and he he kind of ruled with fear. Yeah. And so um, we had a huge barn. And so on one side of our barn was where the horses were, and on the other side of the barn was a one-bedroom apartment because they were already renting out the trailer to whoever. Okay. Well, they moved in there. <clears throat> well, they started having us go letting us is what I should say go down and um, have sleepovers at my mom's and um, assholes and so um, it wasn't long that he started taking us to school and then just like getting super close with us but then kind of becoming more involved with you yeah but almost like controllingly involved like she wouldn't go with us when he would take us to the bus stop and we lived down a two and a half mile dirt road um and then it would be all of a sudden i you know would remember him giving baths to us my brothers and myself um and I don't know. It, it's almost like this like snowball effect where like he was in all of a sudden just super involved. Anytime we were there, like we didn't do anything that didn't include him. But yet our mom was always on the outside, hmm. like outside looking in kind of thing. And um, it was really, really soon after they moved in onto the property that he started working on me to do things to him and it was always in the vehicle on this dirt road that we would have to drive down because that's the only so, way it was like on the way to the bus or no because my brothers were never with us it was always i've got to run to the gas station i've got to go do this i there was always an excuse but my mom could never go he would never let her come and so it very, very quickly turned into, I would have to sit next to him. Mm -hmm. it's five other seats in this damn car, but I had to sit right next to him. And then just kept going and the grooming and the molding and the put your hand on my leg. And so then it came to him teaching me how to touch him. But there was always so like threats of, if your mom finds out about this, you know, then your mom has to leave. What? Because he knew that we finally had our mom. Uh-huh. If she were to know the secret, then he would have to take her away. Okay. He really ruled by that. You have your mom now, but I can easily take it away. There was never threats of I'll hurt your mom. There was never threats of anything like that. It was more just she'll be gone again and you know and i'm getting the bullshit from my grandparents the alcoholic drinking grandpa the the grandma with the beatings <laughs> the grandma with the rage problem <laughs> right and but then at my mom's there's this so there was really no escape outside of going to school you know but as a kid like i don't remember it like being a bad thing to be doing what he's telling me because here's this you know, quote unquote dad. But I remember like not knowing any different. So like, okay, I've never had a dad. So maybe this is what they do. Just those kinds of things. And that lasted for 
quite some time, but it but it went from like and him coaching you to touch him to touch him and like actually showing me on his hands like this is what you do with with my with my body part with your hands. Then it turned to him doing stuff. But again, it was just, you know, with hands. And I, not just with hands, because obviously it's completely fucking disgusting. Mm-hmm. But it just started so... Almost like it was like a natural, like, growth process. Like, you do for me, I do for you. You know, you share, I share. You know, kind of kid thought process, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And so it's it's just so gross. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I just, where my frustration is now, obviously, as an adult, and I have three children of my own, is like, when you're five, you just don't know. And so... Do you recall having any sort of suspicion or any sort of, like, any alarms going off that, that this is weird? No, because the only alarm that went off is I didn't want my mom to leave. Okay. Then, you know, you add the bathing and, like, all of these things. And, again, like, I do consciously remember being, like, maybe this is just what dads do. Maybe this is just how it is. You know, because I've been raised by grandparents. He got arrested again for fraud. He had stolen checks or I don't even know. And um, I do remember, like, being relieved. I actually got him arrested. And I didn't even realize I got him arrested. Really? Yeah. So it ends up being that they had come out to the ranch property. They lived in Sunnyvale. Who's they? Um, my mom and asshole. Okay. They had lived in Sunnyvale, and that's where they came from. Well, I didn't. As kids, we didn't know, but they had warrants. He had a warrant for his arrest. Well, they tracked him down to the property. The cops showed up, and he had just left. And um, the cops showed up, and we were at my mom's little apartment, whatever. And they're like, hey, where's so-and-so? And And my mom lied. I remember it clear as day. My mom lied and said that she had no idea and didn't know when he'd come back. Well, I looked at her, and I'm like, Mom, don't you remember? He went to Walt's gas station. (laughs) And, (laughs) you know, this little (laughs) rinky-dink gas station in Rough and Ready... Um, they whipped right around and went over to the tiny little gas station and arrested him. So, hmm. I mean, so I guess I got him arrested. <laughs> um, and so she was very mad. I remember her being very angry. I was going to say, how did mom take that? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so he was gone uh, for, I think, a year. Mm-hmm. But she stayed on the property um, and you said you remembered being relieved. I do. I remember being relieved because he was gone, but she wasn't. But I also know that she was never like a mom. Like, f- from the time we were kids until, you know, her death three years ago, the woman never made us a meal, never said I love you. Like, not to me at least. My brothers may have gotten lucky. I just don't think she knew how. Like, she didn't know how to love, you know. And so she worked she was working at Carl's Jr. and um, she gotten hurt on the job and um, she had fallen on a wet floor or something but after that she was never the same physically Um, but she slowly began to have to walk with a cane and she's in her 20s right 
Um, and so they're not really sure what's going on. And anyway, life is just kind of moving on for me. And, you know, he's gone for this year and we're still a grandma, even though nothing's changing with her. And she would make us go and visit him in jail too, by the way. But he, when he came back, it was like nothing had changed. No time had passed. Everything just went right back to quote unquote normal. And it didn't stop. It went from there and it just progressed and progressed um, to him actually coercing me and forcing me to um, perform oral stuff on him. And you're how old? Eight, seven, eight. And um, it just kind of kept happening and I threw up on him the first time and reasonable reaction right and of course I don't even know what the hell is going on I just know that I'm doing what I'm told because I don't want to make waves because he was very angry and he would break stuff and throw stuff he would never hit us but he was just very angry so I threw up on him right well his resolve to that was um making me do it while he wore a condom well then the the, the the lubricant or whatever on it made me throw up. Yeah. So his resolve, instead of just stop forcing me to do this heinous act, was to get flavored condoms. So there was no stopping what was happening. It was just him altering to get it to happen. So, you know, all of this kind of stuff is happening. I have finally had enough with my grandparents at home. Um, in fourth grade, I... Um, Grandpa was drunk one day, one night, and Grandma was on her high horse for God knows what. Um, <laughs> it didn't take much. So he's drunk, she's just raging? Yes, because, you know, when he's being an asshole to her, she's got to be an asshole to everybody. And um, my brother, like, didn't put away laundry or God knows what. I don't even know what it was. I just know we were in the boy's bedroom, and she turned around and grabbed my little brother by his throat. And picked him up off the ground and threw him into a closet. You and know, in my seven or yeah, because we were age? ten months apart. So if yeah. I'm yeah, so he's we're in that same realm. So he's about no, we're in fourth grade. So yeah, he would have been about seven, eight, maybe. Yeah. Like I said, it was like lightning fast, like up by the throat into the closet, screaming, yelling, blah blah blah. I went to school the next day, and I told my teacher. I just like fuck this like I can't I just can't do it anymore right and so she didn't do anything I didn't know my teacher was friends with my grandmother oh no yeah. so mm. instead <laughs> of getting removed instead of there being an investigation instead, instead of instead a mandatory of report blah 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 a phone call is made to my grandmother hey you should know that your granddaughter's at school saying these things I'm going to the extreme of like taking kids homework and erasing their name and putting mine on it to like get caught to get in trouble like I remember doing that actually because I wanted some kind of attention on the household like I know that I wanted out of there so anyway instead of getting what I needed I came home to all of my clothing being in garbage bags on our porch my grandmother was kicking me out of the house for the lies that I had told and I was being made to move in to the barn apartment with asshole and my mom 
out of the kitchen into the fire. Yeah. Yeah, God, that's like that's like a scene from a horror movie. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, you're running down the street trying to get away from the, the, the monster and somebody stops to pick you up and it turns out it's like the monster's mom and they just turn around and drive Take you back. Take you back, yeah. <clears throat> and um, so instead of getting the help and the attention that I needed on this situation, I got put into a house with a child molester and my mom and put in therapy because I was attention seeking and my father had died since then. You know, he died when I was four and a half. So I was attention seeking and needed therapy. Yes. Yeah. You absolutely were attention seeking and you needed therapy. Yeah. 100%. But it was, yeah, but it was pigeonholed that I was attention seeking because my mom had left us and my dad had died. It wasn't because, you know, we were being, or I was being abused left and right from head to toe for various reasons. Uh, so at that point I learned real quick, you can't tell people things because, you know, you can't talk to my grandparents because, you know, they've got their own stuff going on. I sure as hell can't tell my mom because she can't protect herself from any, from any of this, you know, crap. Yeah. And I don't even know that I even ever thought about it as a kid, but like even like having the idea that my mom knows what's going on. Like I never even thought about that. Do you think, I mean, at this point, do you think she did? Do you think she had any idea? She told me um, that she didn't, but I call bullshit. Okay. Because my mom went through the same thing with her stepdad for years. Mm. You don't go through something like that and not see and hear things that are triggering. Like... I can't walk through the mall and not be triggered by some old man holding a little girl's hand. It can be completely innocent, but to me, it, like, sends chills up my spine. Yeah. You know? And so... So you're in therapy. I mean, obviously, you know, in therapy, the point is to make you talk. Right. You know, the point is to get you talking. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, at any point, did... No, nothing came out because my grandmother told me that I was not allowed to talk about private family stuff. Oh, God. And asshole says our, what what we do is a secret. So, of course, no, I was only allowed to talk about my dad or what was going on in, or my father, you know, Mm -hmm. or what was going on in school. And, you know, I have this other set of grandparents who are amazing. This Um, is your your biological dad's parents. parents. Um, but my grandmother would keep us from them. Like if she couldn't get them to babysit us or whatever, she would withhold us from them. From your... From my father's, father's. parents. Okay. Um, because, again, it's like the more... If anybody knows these things, they're cut out of our lives. You know what I mean? Because it's a risk. Right. Um, so I just didn't say anything for uh, forever. How long were you in therapy with this... This the remainder of fourth grade. Okay. And so I don't really I just, remember. I'm just I'm baffled. It's like, what do you talk about if you don't talk about, like, so it's I like rem- the elephant in the room. It's just like, oh, we have this lovely lampshade over here, and we've got this well, nice ottoman. Never mind the, the They the facilitated the, the therapy, not like a one-on-one, like what you and I are doing right now. Uh-huh. It was more of, I remember being at this super tiny room, and there was like five kids in there. Oh. And so we wouldn't, like, always talk about stuff. It would be, like, activities. Like a coloring page where you color your emotion. Okay. Interesting. It, yeah. 
I never did therapy as a kid, weird. so I wouldn't know. I'm just like, yeah, I guess, right? I guess I would really wouldn't consider that be therapy either. But yeah, that's like, uh, interesting. Okay, and this yeah. is this is the late eighties. I was born in eighty three, so, okay, so yeah, fourth late grade. 80s. I was nine, so eighty nine. I just I don't I don't give the eighties a lot of credit when it comes to you know being trauma informed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go outside, come back when the streetlights come on, you know. Well that was very much how You're it was. fine, shut up. Very much so. And because we came being raised by grandparents, it was so old fashioned in the way that you don't talk about family business outside of the house. Airing dirty laundry is how right. it was put to me. You don't air dirty laundry. Yes. And we were very much you are seen to be seen, not heard. Yeah. You know, before yeah. holidays, we would have cousins and aunts and uncles come. And there was always felt like a show. Like, we had to put on a show. We don't talk about anything. Because my cousins, I love these boys. They're younger than me. But they think that the sun rises and sets on my grandparents. Mm. Because they have no idea what they were really were like. Mm-hmm. And we were really kept away you know, on this big old property. So we just didn't do anything outside of manning the animals or riding our bikes or, you know, what you do on a hundred acres of ranch property. With no one around you. With nobody around. Oh God, so isolating. Mm -hmm. But I remember it being like aspects of it being fun because like we had my brothers. And so when we were outside riding our bikes, this is a horrible thing to remember. (laughs) <laughs> More like embarrassing. Do you remember there was like that really popular show in the 90s, Renegade? Lorenzo Lamas, he was a biker. No. <laughs> Not at all. Oh, man. I remember Airwolf. This is, this is horrible. It's like... I remember the greatest American hero. <laughs> you picture like a brunette Fabio kind of type, long hair, whatever. But he was a biker. And so this was a show because my grandparents didn't filter the things that they watched with us. And so we thought it was so cool to like get on our bikes and pretend that we were these characters from the show Renegade. And we'd ride our bikes from, you know, the house down to the cattle guard. And we were fucking idiots. But it was kids. That's the point. (laughs) Right. So like one day we're Ninja Turtles. The next day we're bikers from Renegade, you know. And so, I mean, those kinds of things are fun, but nothing that included the adults in our lives. Right. So um, you're in, it's fourth grade. Fourth you're grade. In, you're in therapy that isn't really therapy. Right. Everything is still happening with asshole. Uh-huh. Um, how, how often? Regularly. Like daily, weekly? If not daily, at least every other day because we were always told to go down to our mom's. Well, and you were living there at this point. Um, no. Okay, so after I stayed with them for a couple months... Remember, my dad had died, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we were, my brother and I, my younger brother and I have the same dad. My older brother has a different dad. We were getting his Social Security money, right? Well, my grandmother was money hungry, and that's really all she cared about. And so she told my mom, or no, my mom told my grandma, um, if she's going to stay with us, we need to make an arrangement for us to receive her Social Security checks. Because again, we're, you know, I'm a paycheck, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so my grandma made me move back in. Okay. So it was very short lived, but those two months were hell. You know, there was literally no escaping anything. But mind you, 
it's still groping and the other heinous act that I described, that's what's happening. It hasn't progressed past that, but as if that wasn't enough. We're in fifth grade and my um, brother overhears my grandparents talking on, our, on the deck about how um, my grandpa doesn't want to do it anymore. He doesn't want to take care of us anymore. He doesn't want to raise kids anymore. And um, so they bring it to us. My brother, you know, comes and tells us. And so I don't know why I thought froggy that day, but I asked my grandma. I'm like, why don't you guys want us anymore? And they said, no, we have raised you guys enough. It's your mom's responsibility. Um, my mom moved off the property with and took dirt bag with her. Um, but they moved on to my great-grandparents' ranch property. And um, my grandma and my grandfather packed up our stuff, pulled us out of school one day. Two days later, we're in another school living with my mom and asshole. Just so many changes, right? So now we're, we're at the great-grandparents' ranch. <laughs> um, you know, same kind of thing. We're living on a ranch. We're still doing the same kind of things. But now I live with Dirtbag. And so now it's a regular thing. I can't even sit on the couch without him doing something under a blanket. Like in front of? In front of my mom. He was always really sneaky about making sure my brothers weren't home. He would facilitate them going to sleepovers. Like convince them, hey, so-and-so is your best friend. Why don't you, you know, this, that, and the other. Like you go with go with them and go have dinner at their house or whatever. But I was never allowed to. I never had sleepovers, never went to birthday parties. I wasn't allowed to. Me showering with the door closed was not allowed. Every aspect of my life was now controlled. And you're by fifth, him. sixth grade now? Fifth grade. Okay. He would pull my towels off me. He would always walk behind me way too close and grab me and all of these kinds of things and not a single care that my mom was in the room not anything you know so we moved in with them right we're with them all the time i have become the housewife i'm the only one that is cooking i'm doing all the laundry i am taking care of my mom because at this point she's using a walker now they still hadn't determined what happened to her and I have really just become, as sickeningly as the words are to even say, I became his wife. Because I'm doing everything but like full on having sex with this person. And I hate the word sex with him because that's a voluntary thing and I'm yeah. not doing anything voluntary, right? But that's really what it was. Is like I was being treated as the housewife while still doing school you know I'm in fifth grade and but I'm doing all these other things and taking care of my mom well the next year she has a stroke now my jobs with her are even more I'm having to bathe my mom yeah, she's doing, even more incapacitated yes and is so, she able to at least feed herself or is she that far she gone? can okay. um at this time they think she has ALS at, the, at this Interesting. Okay. kind of time. Yeah. And they're doing all this stuff at UC Davis, this, that, and the other. And But I'm doing all of her home care. And, you know, trying to be in fifth and sixth grader, you know, because time is just going. So we end up finding out after another stroke that my mom is actually um, has multiple sclerosis. Mm. 
a very progressive stage. And um, by the time I'm 13, we're... 13 is 7th grade, is that right? Um, 7th... No, 8th. Nothing has changed in the way that life has facilitated, other than, you know, I'm still not going places without him, even to the grocery store. If he was going to the grocery store, I had to go to the grocery store. Um, he was a race car driver, like, going to, like, the drag strip. Like, that's that was, like, what he did. Um, he was getting, his job? Well, he thought it was. <laughs> no, his job. He was getting paid by the state to take care of my mom, but I was doing it. And so he got the paycheck and he was going drag racing with, you know, the street drags down at the drag strip in Sacramento. And you had to go with him? To car shows. Um, The drag races I couldn't because I had to take care of my mom because they were at night. By the time I'm 13, it was Thanksgiving Day that he raped me for the first time. We went to my grandmother's, my father's mom, for Thanksgiving dinner and he had made up a a reason that we had to leave. We had to run back home really quick to grab whatever it was that was forgotten and I had to go. And we went back to the house for whatever it was and that's where it happened for the very first time. And I don't remember doing anything of the, of the way of saying no, of saying don't do this, of fighting him off. I just remember if you wait, it'll be over. Well, and at that point, you were so mired in the thought process of, you know... I was just so numb. I do like, what every, I do what he tells me. I go where he tells me. It's like, survival. your life isn't even your own. Yes. And so it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. weird to say that that's a natural extension of what was happening to you. That mm-hmm. it's just kind of like, okay, well, this is, this is new, but it's not. You know, in that it's like, I'm just doing what's expected of me. And waiting for it to be over. And you go along to get along and you don't make waves. Because when you make waves, that's when he becomes very aggressive. And again, he's still not hitting me, hitting my mom. He is just very controlling. He'll break stuff. He would take stuff and just chuck it at you. But like, make it hit the wall behind you. He would just... I don't don't even... I can't even describe just how scary... He would talk about murders that he had committed. He would talk about how he was connected to the mob. And like all of these things. <laughs> Fucking tool. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not funny, but it's also just like, it is, oh, it is okay, now. Bugsy Siegel. Oh, you're Mr. Mr. Right. And he's all a five Mr. foot three. Big shot. All right. Yeah. He's this like five foot three, five foot four, disgusting dirtbag. And mind you, he's 19 years older than my mom. Oh, shit. So he's, like, in his 40s. So he's, like, my mom's dad's age, right? So this happens. And, again, like I said, it's you don't make waves because he's scary. Like, mm-hmm. I am terrified of him. Because, of course, this stuff is – now I know. Like, that was a bunch of BS. Like, is, is mobsters really going to do anything for you? <laughs> but back then – I fully believed it. Bring down the wrath of the mob on you. Right? Like he's an extra from casino or something. Wouldn't do the dishes. Right. Um, But it was always wrapped around the secret. Mm. You know what I mean? Did you understand? Like, had you had any sort of sex education at that point? Did you know what was happening? Mm -mm. 
Okay. No. I remember doing, like, the sex ed or whatever when they introduced it in, like, fifth grade. But at that point, they only talk about anatomy and menstruation and pretty much it mm-hmm. um, that I remember. Um, but I also remember it being a very hush-hush subject, you know, because this is what happens at home, you know? <laughs> and we've already established that we don't talk about what happens at home. Right. And as equally scary as it was to go home to this disgusting individual, I was terrified of what else could be. Yeah. You know what I mean? If it's this almost, is home, what's outside? It's like that whole Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you, you just, you ride the wave. Because if you don't, the next thing is going to be worse. And I don't know anything outside of this, yeah. you know? And he has alienated all other family members because nobody liked him, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So you're 13. 13. And um, this has happened and just gets up like nothing, you know, nothing is out of the normal. Um, We go back to my grandma's and again, the whole time we're going, it's this isn't talked about, blah, blah, blah. I left this out. I didn't mean to. But on the drive back to the house, he was constantly talking about how he needed to be my first. And the reason why he needed to be my first is because anybody else would hurt me. And how he would not physically harm me. And um, that, like, he was trying to make it like a normal thing. But I remember that being the conversation, like, that was the dialogue. That's what happened now. So now it was just sex. Mm-hmm. Or rather it was it, essentially being raped by your stepdad. Constantly. Daily, every other day, whenever. From the age of 13 to 20. Because I still lived with them for years and years doing my mom's home care. Yeah. Five strokes later. Five strokes. My mom was um, went from a cane to a wheelchair in a year. So I was doing her extreme home care. So at some point you go to high school, right? Mm-hmm. Did, did you have any friends? Did you make any friends? Was there anyone that you were friendly with? I actually had a pretty with? good core group of okay. friends. I'm still really good friends with a couple of them. Mm-hmm. School was my escape right. because that was the one thing he couldn't keep me from, even though he tried. I actually got put on an academic contract. Because I had missed so many days of school to stay home with my mom while he went drag racing. And um, so they couldn't, he couldn't keep me home anymore. Because otherwise, you know, he would get in trouble. Um, And the last thing he wanted was anyone's attention. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But at school, you know, he had to be involved in whatever. If parents were allowed to, he wanted to be there. But... Remember how I said, like, when I was super little and everything started, it was, your mom is going to, ha- we would have to leave and I, your mom would come with me. Well, now it's, I would get put in jail. It would be your fault and your mom is your responsibility. And I just remember how so terrified. So if, if, if you tell anyone, uh, I would go to jail and then you'd be stuck taking care of your mom by yourself. Mm-hmm. And you him, already were taking care of your mom by yourself. But him going to prison and being my fault. Mm-hmm. There was something so terrifying about having him there 
but almost something as equally terrifying of them not being there. And again, that's all part of the therapy that I've learned of the Stockholm Syndrome and, the, and all of that. Yeah. Because I don't understand why there was so much guilt, shame, and fear of telling him no or telling on him or, or setting him up or and why I just never did any of those things. But it really just comes down to just being fucking scared of everything. Were, did any of your friends in this core group, did any of them have an idea? Did, I'm, I'm assuming you didn't tell them, but if did they, anyone have a clue? If they did, they never said anything. And um, as adults, I've had conversations with them have where they, they have said that they all, that it was always weird. Like his presence was always so overbearing and bizarre and things like that. But as kids, we never discussed that. But as adults, we have. Did you ever, um, did you ever have any interest in boys, or did you have like a boyfriend, or was anyone interested in you? My, I mean, how did that go? My over? freshman year, um, I was dating. Well, what you call dating then? Um, <laughs> Sitting together at lunch, <laughs> right? But um, he also had to facilitate all of that. Like he had to be in control of all that. So it was so weird. Like he would constantly um, dirtbag. He would constantly want the boy and his parents to come over or he like in put himself in the position to become buddies with said boyfriend's dad that's so fucked oh i don't know why that's so stomach turning because it's really disgusting because he has to be in it he has to be in control he has to have like he has to have the reins on the narrative yes and his picture should be like next to narcissist in the dictionary like Mm -hmm. the epitome of child molester narcissistic controlling abusive like it's all him yeah (laughs) you know and um so anyhow it's just going and it's going and nothing's changing did did he ever use protection with you like did he ever did he wear a condom with you always okay always he would get it to where my brother would stay with my mom on like a saturday night Mm -hmm. And he would do these races and he would make me go with him. But he'd always tell my mom that he could get a good night's sleep. We had to stay in a hotel. Motel 6, Vacaville. Uh. My stomach churns the thought of driving through Vacaville. If my husband and I go anywhere, if we have to drive through that area, I literally have to close my eyes from the time we hit... You know, anything that signage that says it until we're through it. And so, again, it was anything to get me away from people. Were you sexually active with your boyfriend? No. Your high school boyfriend? Did Never he... even kissed him. Wasn't allowed to. Did he Did he have any ideas about... I mean, do, do we know if he suspected I don't, anything? Or... I don't think so, but I do think that his parents thought the dad, that dirtbag was odd. Um, because... Again, remember, he had this rage. Mm -hmm. And so one night they were over for dinner and he flew off the handle for God knows what. Because it didn't take much. It took all of putting mayonnaise on his sandwich, because he hated mayonnaise, um, for him to throw it at me and cause a big deal. Well, something had happened while they were there. And he lost his cool. And um, they left. I never really talked to them after that. So, 
would I say that every aspect of my life was controlled by him? Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. Like everything down to what I wore. You know, I am 37 years old now and I will not sleep in a bed that the sheets aren't tucked in because I have to feel them around my feet because at any given time he would walk in and rip the blankets off my bed when I was a kid or a teenager and um, wasn't allowed to have my door closed, wasn't allowed to do anything. So high school, mm-hmm. um, moving on towards like you're, you're graduating. Mm-hmm. It's always was, still happening. Was there ever any talk about you going anywhere else or doing anything else? No, I wasn't. Um, I definitely was not raised college bound. Mm-hmm. Um, it was always just like an unwritten thing that I belonged to him and I was going to take care of my mom. And that's what I did. Mm-hmm. I started working when I was a junior in high school. Um, but the restaurant that I was working at was right by our house. I was walking. I wasn't allowed to drive. Um, I wasn't even allowed to get my license until I was 20, just before I turned 21. So I had to call him when I got to the restaurant. And when I was leaving, I wasn't allowed to walk home. He He had had to come in. Yeah. Because he had to see who I was working with. So how did you feel towards him during this? I mean, did you at any, I mean, because it's like, there's this, there's this kind of like this disconnect where it's just sort of like, okay, this person is literally your whole world because they've made sure that they're your whole world. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you have any affection towards him or did you hate him? Oh, or... I hated him. Ugh. Absolutely hated him. And um, I had attempted suicide three times in my life. The first time when I was eight after telling the teacher. Right. Um, and the second time was after the first rape when you were 13 when I was 13 both times I just tried to take a whole bunch of medications which wasn't going to work because all I did was get sick (laughs) so nothing really actually worked well Um, like did these did these attempts like turn into hospital visits or doctor visits or was it just like well that didn't work I guess well that didn't work the first time um I was super super sick with throwing up um, but I was living with my grandparents at the time, so they just chalked it up to me being sick. Yeah, because you're eight. You're sick. Right. Um, the time after the rape, I don't remember anything after, like, me passing out kind of thing. Um, and so I coped with it with self-harm. Mm-hmm. My body is riddled with scars. Thank God I'm pretty much tan year-round because you can't see a lot of them. Mm-hmm. You can. They're right in front of your face. You just don't see him as well. And so I started a pretty heavy self-harm to cause myself enough physical pain to take away from the emotional pain. Right, right. You know? Yeah. And it's just... It, so when you, when you ask, I just don't know, like, how it got there. I just know you just do as you're told. Honestly, I just wish that I would die or he would. I'm assuming at some point you picked up or like in some sort of, I don't know, class uh, from somebody somewhere, you learned that this was not normal. 
Oh yeah, I learned that real pretty quick and probably right around the rape, the very first rape was because at that point, like obviously you're 13, you know what um, sex is and that's not it, you know, but um, there's already been so much grooming and so much fear and I just don't know how to describe it outside of just being terrified. Okay. So... You're done. You you graduate high school. Yeah. So I've graduated high school, still working at the restaurant, still taking care of my mom. Um, in, in reality, the only thing that's changing is, is that I'm getting older. And that's what the sickening thing is, is because, you know, when you think of pedophiles, it's an age group. Mm-hmm. It's adolescence. It's prepubescent. And that wasn't changing anything with him. He grew with me. You know what I mean? And I don't know yeah. what that's called because yeah. it's... Well, I think, you know, we we sort of discussed it where it's like it wasn't even necessarily about, oh, I like little girls or I like, you know, it's more this this particular person exists for me to yes. use. I, I was owned. Yeah. My everything was owned by him and that's from the hair on my head to what I wore to, yeah. you know... And so it didn't matter what how old you were, you were you were a belonging. You yes. Were. Yeah. And not only did I belong to him, but I think like in his mind, like we were in a relationship because there was so much jealousy with the high school boyfriend. Like so no, I never even kissed I never actually kissed anybody until I got married. My my husband um was the very first person I kissed willingly. Wow. Very first person I, I had sex with willingly um so so we're past you're 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 in high school you graduate high school Mm -hmm. and nothing's changing nothing's changing people are leaving they're going off to whatever the hell they're going to do Mm -hmm. Um, and i just remember being so jealous of the freedom yeah just so jealous of wanting more and knowing that i couldn't have more like i wasn't allowed so you didn't you didn't even try didn't even try yeah i didn't know that i had an option to fight it and again, that's where all that fear, shame, and it's like. Yeah. And you're saying that this went on until you were 20? Almost 21. Okay, so what's like, what, what transpired in the years, like the two years between graduating from high school and you somehow like getting out of this or ending it? So what ended it was I got pregnant. That's right. And um, I called my brother because I was now okay so you got pregnant so mm-hmm. like what did a condom break or did he not use one or? no so so one what he ended up doing in those two years I guess you should say or really the three years so it started yeah. junior senior year of high school he started giving me drugs um he had these little baggies of white powder and he would um make me rub them on my gums he would have me put my finger in it and rub it on my gums. To this day, I don't know what it is. Um, I have never used drugs, smoked marijuana, anything by choice. But I wouldn't remember anything afterwards. And this happened dozens of times. Wow. Okay. So I couldn't even tell you that a condom broke. I couldn't even tell you that one was used. I don't remember. Okay. And so I am so, so sick. And I am in a lot of pain. Can't walk. I'm in so much pain. I go to the hospital 
and they tell me I'm having a miscarriage. <gasps> That's how I found out I'm pregnant. Hello. Yeah. So. Was it a um, was it a tubal pregnancy? Or? No, it actually was a complete miscarriage. Oh my goodness. And um, this asshole of a nurse, male nurse, comes in and I'm bawling, right? Because you didn't even know that you were pregnant. No, the, Do you no know idea. How long? How how many they, weeks? Were they you told doing? me it was four to six weeks. Okay. And um, it was super early to the point where it was like barely registering, right? Right. And so, um, this, like I said, this asshole of a male nurse comes in and says, "Why are you crying? You know, there's no reason to cry. This is normal, and it happens a lot for first pregnancies. It doesn't mean you can't get pregnant again." <sighs> I'm not crying because I've had a miscarriage. I'm crying because. This is what my life has become. So I go home a month later, just shy of a month. I am sick to my fucking stomach. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why. I don't know what's wrong. But I'm not in pain. I'm just so, so sick. Go to the doctor and they tell me that I'm six to eight weeks pregnant still. So I miscarried one but carried another. You were pregnant with twins. Yes. Oh, Fuck me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so well, I guess room. they just don't do it justice. Like the express, it's like I'm just like sitting here mm-hmm. gripping my face, and I'm oh. And they never did oh. an ultrasound with the pregnant with the miscarriage because right. they just they said it was complete. Yeah. So now the control has gotten even worse. Because now, obviously, Dirtbag knows, now I'm having this baby. Obviously, so not the, having the baby is not an option. Why not? Why wouldn't he want to kind of erase the whole event? Because in his mind, nothing was wrong. Oh, God. Now because I'm, at this point, you're already past 18, so it's like, exactly. uh, it doesn't matter now. So it doesn't matter now. <sighs> so he concocted lies that I had to tell. He came up with all of them. He, what were they? Um, that I had a one-night stand with a guy named Jeremy. Jeremy? The, yeah, he came up with the name and everything. Um, he was military. It was a one-night stand at a party. And You never went to parties. Right? <laughs> so, but yeah, he came up with this whole elaborate story. This full start-to-finish story. And that's what I had to tell my employers. That's what I told my mom. But so now I'm pregnant right and I'm having this baby and um everything down to her name I wasn't even allowed to name her like he had to like he had to be involved in all of it had to be in the room when she was born so you went through the whole pregnancy I with went through the whole pregnancy working taking care of your mom the abuse from him because of course that didn't stop naturally right you know because if it wasn't going to stop when I'm six it's definitely not going to stop just because I'm pregnant so um, go through the whole pregnancy, have her. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, obviously, I don't know what postpartum depression is, but I'm in the thick of it. Like, I am the... Well, how could you tell the difference? You were <laughs> miserable anyway. <laughs> um, because I wanted to leave her at the hospital. Oh. Well, but I mean, that right. seems like a highly reasonable mm-hmm. desire to have, given the situation. Yeah. I want to leave her here. Mm-hmm. Of course you do. I'm not sure I'd call that postpartum depression as much as I would call it a... <laughs> a human reaction yeah a logical course of action mm-hmm. a logical desire to like you know I just brought this person into the world and I don't want them to 
live like I'm living. Mm -hmm. Well, and as sad as it is, it's like I didn't even, I didn't want her at the time. And obviously things are different. (laughs) But like at the time, it was like, it's one more person to take, it's another person to take care of. Well, and I had already been told outright that now I couldn't do anything. Because now there's a connection that I will never be rid of him. And of course I know different mm-hmm. now. Yeah. But at 22, 21, 22 years old, what he said is fact. Yeah. So when she was two weeks old was my third suicide attempt. Pills again? No. Um, self-harm gone too far. And so, and it wasn't, like, my thought process wasn't even that, like, now she's biologically his. And that means that if I'm gone, like, she's it's his. It's her turn, yeah. But I didn't even know that then. Yeah. Like, yes, I'm, I'm this 22-year-old person, but, like, logic didn't exist to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Um, well, you'd been prevented just, from mentally or emotionally growing up, really. Yeah. You know, it had just been so much of your bandwidth was used up with just staying numb. Yeah. That the idea of being able to rationally, you know, A plus B equals C. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's what is it, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's like the whole self-actualization thing never, you never even got there. Yeah. Yeah, it just, seeing normal people function was bizarre to me. Like, you go to your friend's house? What the hell is that? Why would you go party? As like a teenager, like to me, it like blew my mind that that was something that you would want to do. You know, why aren't you taking care of responsibilities? Well, because when you're 15, you don't have responsibilities. (laughs) Going and doing stupid crap with your friends should be what you want to do. Not change a a colostomy bag and being touched by your stepfather. So at what point... There's the the third suicide attempt. Mm-hmm. What happens there? I mean, I'm assuming you go to the hospital. I go to the hospital. Something that you hide. Yeah, I go to the hospital. It gets deemed postpartum depression Ugh. because, of course, I'm still not saying anything, mm-hmm. and the lie has carried through. Mm-hmm. Dirtbag is not on birth certificate, but now it's postpartum depression. I was you know, taken advantage of at this party and, you know, all this stuff. Now I have this baby and I'm baby blues and all these other things. And nobody knows what's really going on. Nobody knows. Um, all of the, like, it's, it's him and I. We are literally the only two people that know. And so, um, because I was on, um, not welfare, but, um, county aid, not our county medical, um, I have to go to therapy. And so I'm going to therapy and I'm going through the motions, telling them what they want to hear and I'm sad and all of this kind of stuff. Um, And it just kind of got to a point where I went home and as an adult, we're all renting this house and we all live together and I'm signing over paychecks and I'm not allowed to have anything of my own. And um, he goes to do something And I just look at him, and I'm like, if you ever fucking touch me again, I'm going to stab you in your sleep. (laughs) I have nothing else to lose.
And there you have the first half of Charlie's story. I am not going to lie, when I was sitting in that room with her, listening to her tell that story, I was covering my eyes and my, my, my stomach was nodding up with the things that she was saying because it's, it's so astonishing, but it was such a miracle to be sitting across from somebody who she just, she endured so much. And the fact that she is as functional as she is in the face of everything that happened is just astonishing. Uh, and I already used that word. I, I'll think of another one. Remarkable. Um, amazing. Um, she's, she's a goddamn hero. And it's, it's amazing that she survived. It really is. Um, before I sign off, I want to provide you guys with a few phone numbers. Uh, first of all, is the National Domestic Abuse Hotline. And that hotline is, well, first of all, their website is www.thehotline.org. And their phone number is 1-800-799-7233. The next one I would like to give you is for the Child Help National Child Abuse Hotline. And that one is www.childhelp.org. And their phone number is 1-800-422-4453. And last of all, well, first of all, um, the National Domestic Abuse Hotline and the Child Help National Child Abuse Hotline, they both have... um, they both have live chat available on their websites. So if you are in a place and time where you are unable to talk out loud, that is an option that is available. Um, let's see here. Additionally, there's the suicide prevention lifeline.org. And their phone number is 1-800-273-8255. So if you or anyone you know is in the midst of some really difficult shit, uh, please feel free to call and look into their resources, figure out what you can do. Um, Let's see here, too. uh, (laughs) I don't know if it's lightening the mood or not, but um, for Cool Art Corner this week, I want to highlight... Uh, an artist by the name of Mike Choi. Mike, common spelling, M-I-K-E, Choi, C-H-O-I, art. Mike Choi Art, that's his Instagram. And Mike Choi, actually his background is um, illustrations and comic books, but recently he has departed from some of that more uh, pop culture oriented stuff and has been creating just the most amazing and fantastic fine art. And so I highly, highly recommend you go and check him out, Uh, see what he's doing, see what he's up to and see what happens when somebody that has amazing talent um, goes rogue and decides that they're not going to do mainstream stuff and they're going to 
engage in creating art that fuels the soul. Um, he also has a website that's on OpenSea. Um, it's kind of hard to say. It's um, OpenSea, O-P-E-N-S-E-A dot I-O slash accounts slash Mike Choi. Go take a look at him. Follow him on Instagram. Just give the guy his dues because he is really doing some amazing stuff. Ah. So if you would like to get in touch with me, you can reach me at deadmensdonuts at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram, deadmensdonuts. You can also find me on Facebook, and I'm entering the modern age. I have a TikTok, which is a complete mystery to me, and I'm way too goddamn old for that sort of thing, but I'm doing it anyway. I have two videos and one follower. It's amazing. Um, so reach out if you have a survivor story, you want to talk, you want to, uh, comment, uh, do whatever, feel free to get in touch. Um, as always, our logo was done by Tasha Zuniga at Art of Obscura and our theme music was done by Via the Fiddler. That's viathefiddler.com. And tune in next time for the rest of Charlie's story as it is. Be safe, be well, be healthy, be awesome, be functional if you can. And this is Grace Baudino signing off.